You are listening to The 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. The podcast is a subsidiary of The Seventh Row, an online publication dedicated to interdisciplinary film and theater criticism. You can find us on Twitter at Seventh Row with the number seven spelled out or online at seventh-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-Row.com. of the 21st Folio, we're going to be discussing the two major film adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Franco Zeffirelli one from the 60s and Baz Luhrmann's 1996 adaptation. I'm your host, Alex Heaney. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Seventh Row. You can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast, that's B-W-E-S-T-C-I-N-E-A-S-T-E. And today we have um, our guests are uh, Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin, and you can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Snart. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-S-N-A-R-K. And uh, M.A.? Hi, my name is Mary Angela. I'm an editor at The Seventh Row. You can find me on Twitter at Lapsed Victorian. And finally, we have uh, Laura. Hi, I'm Laura Ann Harris, and you can find me online at Laura Ann Harris, and with an E. Dot com. So, what did we think of the films? I had totally forgotten how much I adore Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, just completely, totally, and unashamedly. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's just beautiful. And I have to confess, I've never liked the Zeffirelli version. I think it, I think it emphasizes the least interesting parts of the play, mm-hmm. and the Baz Luhrmann version, in contrast takes the most interesting parts of the play and brings them out. Even though the line readings are like, uh, a little yeah. not good. Yeah. I have a, I have a well, lot of... Well, except for the Friar. The Friar, Friar Lawrence is great. And yeah, um, the Baz Luhrmann one. But yeah, the rest of the line readings are, readings are pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I have a huge amount of nostalgia for the Baz Luhrmann version. I mean, I saw it, you know, I was what 11 when i saw it and repeatedly saw it so i i have a real soft spot for that adaptation i think it's beautiful i think it's stylish i think the adaptation is really interesting the the cuts and the cinematography is really beautiful but it's interesting because i had never seen the other version of romeo and juliet and it had been heralded and as one of the best adaptations at least in in its day, I think. And so it was interesting to watch it. I mean, clearly the line readings were better. I felt the actors had a pretty good sense of the text and uh, the direction was really interesting. But it's kind of funny in both versions, I found both lead actors were very compelling and I liked them for different reasons. But anyway, but so it surprised me that adaptation, I didn't think I was going to like it at all, but I I didn't hate it, but I certainly preferred Baz Luhrmann's version over it because it was more stylish. But yeah, but if you look at the line readings, 
I would say the former is really quite strong. You know, they, for such young actors, they really knew their, their text. Like, well, Shakespeare, I think the, Def- the Zeffirelli version is definitely better. Yeah. It seems like, I don't know what Alex thinks, because Alex is giving a very interesting facial expression. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. As an adaptation of the play, I think the Baz Luhrmann version keys in more closely to the more interesting themes in the play. Yeah, I agree with that. So, like, the part, quite apart from the, like, gorgeous visuals, frankly, I would watch Baz Luhrmann, you know, film someone grocery shopping. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But one of the things that really strikes me about the Baz Luhrmann version is how it puts you is how he puts you very much in the mindset of these people. Because on the one hand, they're like, they're dumb teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. Romeo is literally writing romantic poetry in his diary by the seaside. Yeah. And (laughs) when he falls for Juliet, he's coming down from ecstasy. Yeah. And the and like, the the tension in Romeo and Juliet is always like, are they in love or are they idiot teenagers? Yeah. And in (laughs) Bob Lerman's version, it's like, they may be teenagers, but their and their love may be a total fever dream, but that doesn't make it any less real to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he manages to both show us the absurdity of it while also respecting their feelings as people, which is very interesting because that tension does not come through in the Zeffirelli version, which is all about how their love is true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with both versions, though, I look at them as as idiot teenagers <laughs> for me. It's just it is R&J for me. It just that is that story. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I feel like definitely I feel like the actors in Baz Luhrmann's version, there's something they're just so charming. And and they're I don't know. They're yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's more them. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to steal words from your mouth, but they're more caught up in the moment. Is that what you're kind of trying to say? A little bit, but also like, I feel like one of the most interesting things about Baz Luhrmann's adaptation is he's like simultaneously showing you the like heightened teenage experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also stepping outside it and emphasizing that it's a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm while still maintaining that degree of empathy for his main characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, most adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, I feel like they pick a side. Yeah. Either Romeo and Juliet is this, like, massive, passionate, beautiful love story, or it's the story of two 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And what makes the Lerman adaptation compelling for me, quite apart from the gorgeous visuals, yeah. is that it genuinely manages to be empathetic toward its main characters while also maintaining enough of a distance for us to say, just because they love each other doesn't mean they're not also idiot teenagers. Right. So, I mean, I'm kind of wondering, how do you think he does that? How does he maintain that distance and or keep the empathy? Part of it, I think, is the two lead actors who are actually extremely good, despite the fact that all the line readings in the play are garbage. <laughs> yeah, I'm blaming the director on that. Sort of, but I think that's also a function of the fact that none of these people were trained in Shakespeare, right? And Shakespeare's not easy. 
Right, but he also didn't have somebody on set to teach them how to speak the lines, like, clearly. Right. Yeah. That was not a priority. But I think he, it's only because he, he said it in, in the States. Like, he said it in what I appear to be Palm Beach, right? So I feel like that cadence and that language of those people is brought within the film. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why the emphasis wasn't as strong on the language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, it's clearly, he, I mean, it's clearly a choice not to make it a huge emphasis on the language, but I mean, I think they could have made the few lines that they had work. But I guess my thinking is that part of why you feel in their headspace in a way that you don't in Zeffirelli's is because Baz Luhrmann's, it's sort of like shot from their perspective in the sense yeah. that like yeah. it's, it, the film itself is on drugs. Like it's just like huh. fast moving and there's like, all these quick cuts and zooms and bright colors and high energy and you know it's loud there's music there's it's just there's so much going on all the time it's like basically having a teenage brain whereas Seferelli's film is much more like let's look at this this you know great text and we're going to do the great text yeah. and i think that there are scenes at least between Romeo and Juliet where you really get a genuine, sweet kind of love and affection, but the movie itself is not. And, and in those scenes, you sort of feel for them while also being like, Oh, these silly teenagers. But the movie as a whole is sort of like, we are doing Shakespeare. Whereas Baz Luhrmann's is much more like, well, we're now in their world. And I think in some ways that he gets closer to what the characters are actually like in the text than Zeffirelli's does. Yeah, he has a way of making the world theatrical in the filming of it, mm-hmm. you know, which is really amazing. Actually, it's it's not, he is making it for film versus seeing a staged adaptation on film, if that makes any sense. You know, oh, yeah, I, sure. yeah, so for me, that's going in part with, you know, he gets us into the world and and he also makes it theatrical in the way that he styles the film. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty wonderful. Well, there's also the fact that um, he, and I will stop talking in a moment because I feel like I'm dominating the conversation here. <laughs> there's also the fact that he films it, especially at the beginning, like some sort of true crime drama that was filmed for TV. You know, he's got that, the opening speech starts with filming a news anchor. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, he's got all of those like little titles. Like whenever a character is introduced, he goes at the bottom of the screen in TypeScript, XXX Capulet or XXY Montague. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's both modern and it also gives you a sense. It puts you in the role of an observer. And it's also just like really effective and efficient because I kind of lost in the Zeffirelli version that the folks who start the fight in the marketplace are not the like real Montagues so much as like their servants. And Baz Luhrmann makes it very clear who's who, not just because he has the, the, um, Chirons where he says who everybody is, but also because the main characters of the, the people with power get like a real introduction. Tybalt gets a very dramatic introduction with those metal boot boot 
heals, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Benvolio also gets kind of gets a separate entrance compared to all of the other boys. And so it's very clear from the start who everybody is and how they are, who that what their relationship is to one another in a way that I just didn't get with all the horror, horrifying tights in Zeffirelli's. <laughs> yeah. Here's, like, it looks like a bottle of mustard and a bottle of ketchup just like exploded <laughs> on the Amazing. But one thing, I, I nearly died. The tights nearly killed me. Um, one thing that I really love about the, um, Lerman film, uh, just sort of on the kind of putting us in their, in their worlds and in their headspace kind of thing is the way that just the like enormity of the party in comparison to Zeffirelli's and mm. just their like literal fireworks going off and there's um, massive amounts of costumes and glitter and, mm. and the whole thing is, and I mean, there's also a performance from Akushio in drag of a disco song. I mean, which is just amazing, but uh, it just, it gives this real kind of, bacchanalian feel like like this is a a sort of a world that is actually for the moment at least completely topsy-turvy and so there's that kind of carnival breaking rules kind of feel to it which i think is really good and you just don't get in the zeffirelli version it just feels like kind of another party another day mm-hmm. and um yeah i like i like the sort of performance aspect of that 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 everyone's performing some kind of role that's really backed up by the like the fact that so much of it is set with Romeo and his mates just hanging about at an old stage on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole thing's so theatrical and over the top and it's just brilliant. Can we talk about the fact that this is the greatest Mercutio to ever break? Yes. <laughs> That's where I was going to go next. <laughs> like, I don't, that man's line readings could be as terrible. Like, I don't care. He's the most charismatic Mercutio. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that performance, you can actually see why Mercutio is like a central character or supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that Baz film does with Mercutio just by virtue of how he's cast it. Well, and also how he staged it, but also, but you get this just from the casting is because Mercutio is like one of the few black actors in the film. He's already an outsider and you get the sense with him that it's very clear from the start that he doesn't belong to the Montagues and he doesn't belong to the Capulets. And you actually get to see his invitation to the Capulet party. And so it sets it up from the start that even though he and Romeo are pals, he's also the center of attention at the Capulet party. He's doing that big, is he singing or just dancing? But he's oh, got like a big, full on like drag. Little, he's got a big number that he's doing and he's, you know, pleasing the crowd and he's the center of attention and everybody loves him. And it's and, young free, which is just like perfect for that party and that night. Yeah. Where but I think in the Zeffirelli one it's it's a little confusing because they cut the scene where Mercutio where where um the page from the Capulet House can't read the invitation list, so he asks Romeo to read it. Yeah. And because because they cut that, like I didn't know that they were invited at all because I hadn't read the play in like 15 years when I, when I watched that and, and I'd forgotten that Mercutio wasn't, you know, part of either clan and because they sure make it seem like, you know, he's just always hanging with 
Romeo and he looks just like Romeo and Romeo's pals that I don't think the a plague of both your houses has exact has quite the same resonance because yeah. you don't get the sense that he was an innocent bystander who got brought in. He was like stirring up trouble and he was already part of the Montague clan. I felt like I don't know that part of the adaptation felt very staged to me and it felt very forced actually too. I I didn't um I didn't find I didn't feel the terror of that moment. I felt that it was just set up to be kind of histrionic almost in a way and it, it didn't have the same effect as the Baz Luhrmann version. Also on a much more I mean jumping off of that the Zephyr, you're correct that the Zeffirelli version doesn't have that same heightened sense of tension or emotion. And part of what makes that ineffective in the Zeffirelli version is that you don't really care when your Fuchsia dies. No. Like it's just, it's not particularly interesting. It's a plot point rather than a character moment. Yeah. And it felt like very strange to me too. It felt because they were joking around and I mean, obviously, but it just, it, it felt, uh, uneasy for me. And I didn't, I, uh, I couldn't get, I couldn't get behind, I couldn't, uh, sympathize with that character. Mm. Yeah. Especially because, um, the Mercutio's motivation for fighting Tybalt in the Zeffirelli one appears to be, you splashed me, how dare you, I'm gonna kill you. Like, whereas, <laughs> Which is yeah. ridiculous. But whereas in the Lerman one, it's it's because they extend the fight that Tybalt really is still going after Romeo. Mercutio jumping in is 100%, how dare you try and fight my boyfriend, I'm going to kill you. Which is, <laughs> it's, no way they were not playing that as a romance. It's right there. It's like Leo just like screaming in agony, it, cradling Mercutio's body after he's dead. They're just 100% boyfriends. <laughs> you can stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I agree that there's a, there's a degree of homoeroticism in the Mercutio Romeo relationship in the Lerman version that explains a lot about their closeness. That's not there in the Zeffirelli version at all. No. Um, mm-hmm. but we all seem to be loving the Lerman version and like shitting all over Zeffirelli. <laughs> Which yeah. is pretty well, funny because I remember when I first saw them, I remember having like major problems with the Baslerman one. I was like, this is not Shakespeare. I don't like it. <laughs> and I remember really liking the Zeffirelli one, but I mean, this is also a long time ago and I knew less, but, and I was reading the play at the time also. But I think, yeah, I, part of it is, and we can get into this a bit later. I, I don't know that the Zeffirelli one holds up very well. No, um, over time. I think it's just kind of outdated. And part of it is just, I think the Baz Luhrmann one, it kind of gets the play, even though it's sort of not doing the play. The thing that makes a good Romeo and Juliet adaptation for me is like, I don't particularly like this play, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> part of why I like it uh, is because every time I read it, I hope that like this is going to be the time, you know, I hope that somehow the ending's going to change and somehow I'm going to magically read this play and it's all going to be okay. 
this is going to this is going to be the time that it's going to be fine. Yeah. And I feel that when I watch the Lerman version, I yeah. feel that tension yeah. and I feel that hope, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that like, it's a play. It got written 11 million years ago. Of course, <laughs> it's not going to change, but you still, you feel that. And I don't feel that in the Zeffirelli version. Everything feels predestined. Which is funny because I also think that the line readings about, you know, oh, I'm fortune's fool and, and, um, when Romeo has that line about the stars before they head to the Capulet party, they seem so out of the blue to me. They don't make any sense. Whereas it makes more sense to me in the Baz Luhrmann one when, you know, when Romeo screams that he's fortune's fool, it's like this very dramatic moment and it feels like of a piece with the production. So it's kind of funny that. <laughs> that Zeffirelli's one feels predestined and yet can't pull off the lines about it being predestined. Yep. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it like it just lacks that sense of genuine hope. It's kind oh, of yeah. yeah. Well, because yeah. they cut all the funnies. They cut all the funnies. They do. They cut all the funnies. And it's so serious. I mean it is it is quite romantic, but there's no light in it. There's no lightness in the version. The ending is so dark, guys. I found it so dark and kind of scary in a way, the way that they ended that that version. Um, the Zeffirelli one? Yeah. Yeah, I found it really morose. So I prefer the Baz Luhrmann because at least it has the lightness and the funnies and the... It has it has more charm to it. Mm-hmm. There's like so many kind of small jokes, but there's like heaps of them in the Lerman one. Like mm-hmm. um, things like the burning gas station with the sign that says "Add more fuel to your fire," and and there's various billboards that sort of say, you know, like the or there's the sign for the Merchant of Verona Beach, and there's the Prospero quote on a whiskey billboard. Um, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. Like it's, there's all of these little jokey kind of moments. And even just my favorite joke in the whole film, which is Fry Lawrence's small, like half beat pause in the middle of his line about young men's love is found not in their hearts, but in their eyes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the, like the, idiotic Montague boys kind of doing their weird like the offspring Lincoln Park kind of half rap I am a pretty piece of flesh over and over and over I love just... this sorry, sorry no, it's okay it's such a dude bro thing to do when they're like dirtbag Hawaiian shirts and pink hair it's just <laughs> it's funny it's full of humor whereas the yeah. Zipparelli yeah not did anyone yeah. say the Buzz Lerman version that like the Capulets are way more on top of everything than the Montagues are. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Montagues are kind of dirtbag teenagers. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the funny things in the Baz Luhrmann one is at the gas station confrontation, there's that woman who keeps hitting one of the Montagues <laughs> over the head with her purse. Like, constantly, like, she won't stop. Yeah. I know. It's so good. <laughs> and he just sits there and takes it. Oh, it's so good. He's got like a black eye and shitty '90s hair. Yeah, yeah. Like when I, I like the how they do the do um do you bet your thumb at me, sir? Scene like it's got so much energy and it's so, you know, high school, I guess. 
but yeah. it just it's a lot of fun and and it, and they're just sort of taunting each other in a way that you just don't get in the Zeffirelli one where they're in the marketplace and they're like, "Do you bite your thumb at me?" Yes. That's <laughs> ridiculous. And uh yeah, I mean Bassman just brings out that teen energy. He does. And I mean I think it's a very, I still think, you know, the Baz Luhrmann version is a product of the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, I do think it is a product of its time, but it is standing the test of time because it has that youthful kind of almost Nirvana teenage spirit kind of energy to it. And, uh, I mean, yeah. It's 20 years old now and it's, it's still good. So. so yeah, no, totally, totally. One more thing I love about the Lerman version, and then we should probably start talking about some of the virtues of the Zeffirelli. <laughs> Possibly my favorite aspect of the Lerman version is he sets it as a gang war. Yeah. And that's the only production I've seen other than a production of West Side Story, say, where you yeah. actually get the sense that the conflict between two families is tearing the city apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? They're... They're lawless, they're destructive, they're destroying each other, and they're taking the city with them. And there's, mm-hmm. the, it's the only time that you get that sense of genuine danger, as opposed to these two noble houses who like glare at each other sometimes. Well, and I think that the Lerman one is very much influenced by West Side Story, right down to the fact that the Capulets are all Latinos, except for Juliet, who is <laughs> adopted, I guess. About yeah. it. <laughs> her mother is not Latino, right? Like if you look her mother's her. white. Yeah. 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 I mean, it kind of reminds me, I mean, of that West Side Story gang mentality, but also referring to the, to the 90s, you know, the war on drugs and, mm-hmm. and that sort of aspect of things. And so for me, that really colored the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that West Side Story influence, but just also, just talking about the time that we are in, which is really novel for a filmmaker to do, to be able to bring Shakespeare into our time is really wonderful using guns and using the setting of Palm Beach or Palm Springs or whatever. You know, it, it just is, it's one, it makes it timeless because we can still think about that time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though it's 20 years old. And just like, and it's something about the sort of, especially making the prince like captain prince, like a police captain type thing. It's especially like it continues to be relevant in terms of the fact that our, our you know news and current events is is still quite concerned with the sort of like police sort of versus gangs of youths or even just just youth. This like law and lawlessness kind of both kind of struggling to keep a hold on one another. And I think it still really seems to feel really relevant even 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are we going to now try and find some virtue in the Zeffirelli film? <laughs> sure. Well, I do, I do feel like even though I've never particularly liked the Zeffirelli version. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm entitled to not like I'm totally entitled to not like it. It is a, it's a more classic portrayal of Romeo and Juliet, and that's not necessarily bad, right? It minimizes the troubling or uncomfortable aspects of the play, I think, 
it's much darker than the Lerman version in the end, yeah. but it also portrays the lover's romance as pure. It doesn't question it in the same way that Lerman encourages us to be both skeptical and empathetic. I um, I think that there are some moments that I, that um, the Zeffirelli one just kind of keeps something of the play that that's good and not terrible because I kind of don't like the play that much. But the good parts of the play that the Lerman one misses, just mostly there's some aspects of Juliet I think that gets lost in the um, in the Lerman version but uh, there are other aspects that get lost in the Zeffirelli version so but uh, just like little moments where I think it's mostly just because Olivia Hussey is, is kind of amazing um where she's very sweet and that real I'm genuinely I'm genuinely in love and happy and full of hope and full of wonder um that obviously gets lost massively at the end but um just, I'm just thinking about the balcony scene that there are actually bits of the balcony scene that I, I like more in the Zeffirelli version than in the Lerman version. Little bits that kept in, um, that were cut in Lerman's. Yeah, I agree I, with that. Just wait and do that in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not, I'm not, e- not even talking about the text itself here, but I think one thing that they both do quite well in the balcony scene is that they slow down time. They just do it in different ways. I think in the Zeffirelli one, it's just, I mean, it's, I don't remember if it's like one, I don't think it's one long uncut take, but it feels kind of like it as they're moving around the balcony and they're exchanging. Like it just feels you just, you're just with them for so long in a way that you've never been with two characters just alone for so long. So you feel that time has sort of slowed down for them. And in Baz Luhrmann's, it's just that, you know, the, the, the cutting is not so insane that it also has sort of slowed down a bit. But I think, I think you really get the sort of the, the level headed Juliet in Zeffirelli's, you know, she's like, you, I mean, it's in the dialogue, but you know, just the way she sort of cuts straight to the taste where she's like, well, if your intentions are honorable, then I assume we're getting married. So let <laughs> me know when. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's so young and she just cuts straight to it. And because we also get, I think, more of her soliloquy, I think we get more of it. Or at least I think it's better done because I think you get that you can really hear the lines better. You can, you get more of Juliet sort of thinking through her predicament, I think, in Zeffirelli's than you do in Lerman's. And I mean, part of that is in, like, if you look at the actual text, there's all these, in almost, in most of Romeo and Juliet, the, the periods and the commas, like all of the punctuations at the end of the verse line. But in that speech that Juliet gives, a lot of the punctuation is actually in the middle of the verse line. So there, it's, it's kind of like a Hamlet soliloquy in that there's like fits and starts and she's thinking things through. And I felt like you could, I felt like I could see Olivia Hussey doing that kind of thinking in a way that I didn't really get with Claire Danes, it felt more like plot summary with Claire Danes. Right. Yeah. I would say the acting, uh, in the Zeffirelli's version, um, I, I found her really compelling as Juliet. And yeah, she was definitely acting on the line. I felt more so. 
And she was using the text for her benefit. And I, especially with that balcony scene, for me, the tension was maintained within, uh, with with Romeo and Juliet. I I felt that there was a really wonderful tension between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I, and I missed that in Baz Luhrmann's version, obviously. Mm -hmm. Because they come together instantly. Yeah, exactly. And when and, they're rolling around in the pool, whereas it's not, whereas in the Zeffirelli one, it's like, well, we'll get married tomorrow and then <laughs> we'll be rolling around. Yeah. Although in fairness, this is Leonardo DiCaprio before he developed second head. <laughs> like, remember when he was pretty? That's when he was pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That first shot of him in the like scruffy suit, smoking a cigarette by the seaside, like writing poetry in his journal <laughs> and like looking up through his fringe. And it's just, he mm-hmm. just set up as the perfect kind of, Hot throw crush thing. I saw that movie, it would have been like right here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was 10. I was a little young. (laughs) I mean, I think it's interesting what the belt, where the balcony is and how they do the balcony scene in the two films. The Zeffirelli one is much more traditional where there's an actual balcony and then there's this whole big garden and it's kind of a nice symbol in the way that it's an, a symbol in the play where Romeo has, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without it coming out really badly. Um, <laughs> um, but it's like an overgrown garden and there's lots of greenery and there's like nobody there and he has to climb through it and then climb up the, the ladder. Whereas in... Baz Luhrmann's, he climbs, he like, he's up the ladder, and then as he's hanging on, well, or I guess he's on a trellis, and as he's yeah. hanging on the trellis, Juliet comes down in the elevator, and they're on the same level, and part of it, too, is that Romeo is worshipping Juliet, and you don't get the same sense of that when they're on the same level, and you also don't get the symbol when they're on the same level, and there's not, like, a balcony that he has to get up yeah. to. Yes. I see what you're saying, and I definitely think that the traditional version of the balcony scene is the more accurate for the play and for the relationship between the characters. On the other hand, seeing Lerman direct them at the same level and seeing Lerman direct their love as sort of instantly mutual was a genuinely interesting take on that scene. And it's unusual to see a genuinely interesting take on that scene. Yes. I mean, I did actually, I did like them like rolling around in the pool. I thought it was very sweet and cute and also very teenager. Like you really felt some of the stuff that kind of just goes unsaid in the, in, in that scene normally. But I kind of miss sassy Juliet and we don't really get it in Zeffirelli's either. I mean, the lines are there, but she doesn't read them as sassy, yeah. but you know, oh, swear not by the moon. That's. That, that's, that's great. That's so sassy. And like, and, and you know, you kissed by the book that when Claire Dane says that, she's like, she says it as though it's a good thing as opposed to like an outright dismissal. Yeah. And I mean, I think the play itself does kind of, you know, it, in, in a lot of ways is like much ado about nothing is to Beatrice that like Juliet, Juliet is just totally awesome and like a total goddess. And, I think as Caitlin was saying on Twitter, like cut everybody else and just make it a one man, one woman Juliet show. Yeah. And I, 
forget Mercutio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mercutio. And Mercutio. We'll just Juliet and Mercutio can hang and like yeah. <laughs> dance yeah. about. But you sort of lose that when they're at the same level because the whole idea, I mean, there's two things going on. One is that Romeo is being silly in how he worships Juliet. And so that's one reason that she would be higher up on the balcony. But the other reason, and this is borne out in the play, is that Juliet is just like a lot more interesting than Romeo. And she's just a lot cooler than Romeo and smarter than him. And by the end of the play, she's way ahead of him, way ahead of him. And so to have her actually above him on the balcony sets that up in a way that it doesn't set them up when they're on equal playing field. And I don't think that the text itself ever suggests that Juliet is not his equal. She's definitely his superior. Yeah. Well, we do start out the play with Romeo being in love with Rosaline. Yeah. So like, it's instantly established that J- Romeo is at least a little bit silly. Right. <laughs> At least a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Very dumb rhymes. He loves love. He loves falling in love. Versus Juliet is a really interesting, yeah, she is a sassy character. She wants him to prove his his truth, his true love for her. And she doesn't want it to come so easily. So, and it's, yeah, it's interesting how both versions didn't quite go all the way with that. And I've seen it on stage, though. On stage versions, I've seen a sad, a much sassier Juliet. But actually, yes. you know, in a film, I guess, they just want to, <laughs> they just want to show the love. And that's it, basically. I, I don't know. They, they're not taking a more kind of feminist approach to Juliet. I mean, I know in the Zeffirelli one, Zeffirelli cut parts of the text because he thought Olivia Hussey was too good and she he was worried she was going to steal the show from Romeo. What? That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Uh, and so then in the Zephyrel, so it's like she was just too good. And then, but it, then in both of them, the, the, the final line about Juliet and her Romeo, like they give Romeo so much leeway in both of them that you, I don't know, I don't really get the sense that by the end it really is the story of Juliet the way it is in the text. I definitely agree with all of the stuff about different levels, but I also do love the just massively unsubtle, glorious water imagery in Lerman's that just continues. And especially considering you've got like the fish tank scene, which I noticed is essentially a mirror of Zeffirelli's scene, except instead of a crowd, it's a fish tank. Like they move in exactly Mm -hmm. the same way and that's sort of flitting back and forth um, around the coral or the dinner guests um, in the case of the Zeffirelli version. But you've got the, in the the Lerman version, you've got the fish tank and the pool and eventually, you know, Tybalt falling into a fountain and the rain and the ocean. And, uh, and then you've got that contrasted with the beautiful, dusty, dry kind of desert, that Romeo's in when he finds out that Juliet is dead. And it's just, I just love that. Um, even though it's massively unsubtle and I mean, there's a reason why the fish tank scene and the pool scene are both like iconic. Um, I think it just works really well. I think you bring up a really good point about how much the Baz Luhrmann one is in debt to the Zeffirelli one, because that's not the only time where he's very much stealing blocking or stealing ideas. Um, like in the Zeffirelli one, there's a lot of focus on hands. Like when they first meet, you see their hands together and you also see their hands on the fish tank. And then when Juliet revives at the, um, in the tomb, 
or I guess it's in the church in Baslerman's one, the first thing we see is her hand moving. As just one example, there's like a whole bunch because my art in Shakespeare is now annotated with like every choice that Baz Luhrmann made and Zeffirelli made. And there's a lot of copying, like the fact that they've both excised Paris from the end of the play. He doesn't get killed and we don't have to see Romeo killing him. So there's definitely a lot of Baz Luhrmann taking his cues from Zeffirelli. We're still on trying to find good things about Zeffirelli's version. As much as uh, the costumes have a tendency to be distractingly bizarre, um, especially the like weird sort of opposite colors of the like tights versus the cod piece, which is really <laughs> distracting. <laughs> um, but uh, I love the choice to put Juliet in that sort of gray purple wedding outfit just because it looks like the sort of thing that people used to wear when they went into half mourning so you'd have the like full mourning all in black after someone dies and then after about I don't know six months or something you'd go into half mourning which is the muted purples and grays and stuff and it just looks like classic half mourning gear and uh and so it's like a nice little bit of foreshadowing that even though she's meant to be all sort of beautiful and bridal and um, happy that actually this is this is not the beginning of a marriage. It's kind of the beginning of the end of the, of this young woman's life. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. How successful do we think the period, or at least quasi period, staging was? What do you mean by that? Uh like nowadays, a completely period staging of Shakespeare feels dated or jarring right Mm. it's just so far from our experience that it takes us out of the emotion right Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to put everything in uh, a completely present day staging but there has to be some familiarity a little a little element of modernity in order to make us feel connected to the play right like kind of brand as much ado about nothing which is set in question mark question mark question mark Yeah. yeah Like a, a fully period staging like Zeffirelli's or, or at least Zeffirelli like is more inclined toward a period staging than anything else feels quite alienating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also not sure that they really did a full, like they're obviously in period costume, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that they're really moving and behaving as they would in period. Okay. I'm not an expert. Uh, so I'm not like the person to say yes or no, but I didn't necessarily get a sense of added formality that those teenage lovers, I mean, obviously they're not rolling around in the pool together. So in that sense, I guess it's more so, but I'm not sure I got the same sort of sense of danger that they would have really had back then of Juliet, you know, seeing this boy that, not only should she not be seeing a boy alone, but she certainly shouldn't be seeing her enemy. Um, mm. And the sort of sense of danger or of, you know, being interrupted by the nurse, which I think is in the, like, she gets inter- like called in a lot and has to keep saying. Anon. Good you know, anon. Good, yeah. Which is m- m- somewhat in there, but I didn't really get the same sense of danger or foreboding in Zeffirelli's. It was just sort of, Oh, these kids are so in love. Isn't it sweet? And so in that way, it felt, their relationship felt quite modern, 
um, even though they're wearing cod pieces and tights. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually think the um, Vermin version does the sense of impending danger and just the extremes of emotion much better than the Zephyrelli one. And I have a whole rant about that to say about things that have been cut and things that have been kept in and the way it's done that might work better in the second half. I I love the fact that um, the Lerman one really does, um, as you were saying on Twitter, Alex, that it's like a the first half is a comedy and the second half is a tragedy, and, and it really does feel like that. But it's not just – that sense does not just only come through, like at the halfway point, um, the – just even small things like the fact that Lord Capulet is the, his extremes of emotion during the party scene are way more um, obvious. Like he goes from, Oh, everything's fun and happy. And I'm literally wearing body glitter and sequins um, to just really just shutting Tybalt down with kind of a real violence, um, which works really well later on when it comes to his, kind of really weird snapping in and out between she's my darling daughter. I love her and she's going to marry you and it'll be great. And I'm literally going to kill you if you don't do what I say. And then snapping back to, Oh no, my daughter is dead. It's terrible. I did. I loved her so much. And it's like, you get that sense of really swinging between different kinds of emotion much better. And I think actually the, the modern setting helps that because with the period setting you don't really have to explain away the um lord capulet's kind of violence towards his daughter because it's you know you've still got the sense that she's his property and and her defying him is a much bigger deal whereas the because the lerman one kind of has to explain it a little bit or give us some context you it just comes through much more strongly and it and it feels more real somehow yeah, I find as Lerman as a director, though, I mean, he swings from emotions so easily as a director. He he really knows how to show those extremes. And he does that through the filmmaking. He does that through the the high emotion of the performance. And he he as a director is able to highlight that really well. And then we're more on an emotional roller coaster as an audience as well. We're just going on that ride with him. And it's so high, you know, it's, it's, it's un- unbelievably so. And he's just, he's just that kind of director in most of the things that I've seen him do. I think also that picking up on what Caitlin was saying about the violence, I think that the Lerman version picks up on the ideas about violence and love and how those go together or don't go together. That's in the text. It picks up on that a lot more. Um, part of it is that the weapons are actually guns instead of swords. So mm-hmm. there's always, you know, if you fire a gun, that's a really dangerous thing in a way that, you know, when Mercutio and Tybalt are fighting in the Zeffirelli one, they are kind of behaving as though they're just like fencing and that they don't have actual swords. You know, they're like, oh, it's just fun. And they're laughing. And, you know, they don't seem to think as though that fight is really going to kill anybody. They're just sort of sparring like you know, the way brothers fight with each other um, where nobody's really going to get hurt. And then they're kind of shocked when it all goes awry and everybody ends up dead. And then I think also in the Zeffirelli, when Romeo is this very sort of gentle soul, who's it's not just that he's absent from the, the original fight scene, but he's 
you know, just like lying around and oh me and so dramatic. And not that Leonardo DiCaprio's Romeo doesn't have that too, but he's also more kind of part of the boys. And, you know, that's partly, you know, because you see him get into the car with them. You see him hanging out on the stage with them and getting ready for the party. And they're all dressed in, you know, they've all got their costumes together. And so you get more a sense of him being part of that sort of culture of violence in a way that I I don't think I did in Zeffirelli's. And then on the other hand, they really make a point of showing how gentle Romeo is with Juliet. Like he's kind of got this, these two opposing personalities where he's with the boys and he's much more prone to testosterone. And then he's with Juliet and he's just like so gentle and so sweet and so loving and so open. She's literally an angel, and he's literally her knight in shining armor. <laughs> like, the thing I like about Baz Luhrmann is that he's really a more is more director. He's <laughs> like, I could drop an anvil on you. <laughs> the thing about grand passion, it works really well. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I find most effective about the Luhrmann version that's very clearly a directorial choice Picking up on what Caitlin said about this sense of violence and the sense of foreboding that, you know, uh, runs through the whole production is it's not just that Mercutio's role is expanded in the Lerman version. It's like that first big scene with Mercutio, he's basically, he's very unstable, right? And he's saying Queen Mab has been with you. He's verging on a bad trip, right? Yeah. And he foreshadowing is the literary device of the intellectually bereft. But like that that sense of teeter that sense of instability, that sense of teetering on the edge of something that's very clearly a directorial choice, like prefigures the whole mood of the rest of the play. Yeah. In a very effective way. And it like he he it just always turns on, turns on a dime, like in a moment. And I, I just love the fact that uh, the whole play, almost at exactly the, the whole film, rather, the, um, almost at ex- exactly the halfway point, turns in, the, in, the, in a scene and so, I mean, so unsubtly, but also just the literally while the fight between Mercutio and Tybalt is happening, the wind picks up and there's a storm. And it's just, mm-hmm. it just signals how fast the mood changes so well. and um, and yeah, and, and I think that the Zipparelli one, you don't really get a sense of how bad it's going until pretty much Romeo's already dead. And, um, yeah, and a, one of the cuts that Zipparelli made that I was just like completely perplexed by was, I think, really important to this theme, which was, um, he cut out the whole brawling love, loving hate, oxymoron, uh, speech. And even though it's, very silly um i think it it really helps to sort of set that dichotomy of of different kinds of emotion that exists together and um and he cut that but he kept the entire queen mad speech like all of it and i just don't i just i don't understand because i love i love the fact that in the lerman one we've got that it it also just ties in so beautifully with romeo writing writing it down in his journal before anyone gets there that kind of he's he's mid rant brawling love and then 
and then you have Benvolio just chuckles and cuts him up and he says, you know, just that, you know, just a laugh. And he says, no, cause I'd rather weep. And it's like, yes, that is the whole play. Um, laughing and weeping just in the same breath. Um, and cutting that speech and that whole exchange just makes Romeo seem kind of so humorless and, but also like kind of a bit self-righteous and mm-hmm. boring. Yeah. Well, the other one too is when Romeo is like, tells him that, you know, like, I love a woman and Ben Volio is like, yeah, I figured that much out when you said you were in love. I guessed as much. <laughs> Which, I mean, is, is not done hugely well in the Lerman one. Like, at least it's there, but it's not as hilarious as it could be. But I'm pretty sure it's totally missing from the Zeffirelli one, isn't it? Or if it's there, it's really not funny. No, it, it wasn't there. It wasn't there, yeah. So that, I mean, that's all of these lines that are that are, you know, where Romeo is like that, and then his friends are just, like, swatting him away like a ridiculous fly. That's missing, too. Okay, so to fight for Zeffirelli just a little bit, because <laughs> he sure needs it. One of the things that I do like about the the duel between uh, Romeo and Tybalt is the way that it is so sudden that they don't seem to have any sense of the consequences of their actions. They're just fooling around and suddenly multiple people are dead. And so I like that there isn't any, in a way I like that there's no foreshadowing um, or any sort of mood setting that it's, you know, it's in the middle of the day and it's great fun and everyone's just sort of like fooling around. And before they know it, it's every, you know, there's two dead people. Um, and Tybalt looked shocked, like he certainly didn't mean to kill Mercutio. And Mercutio is very much making light of his injury for quite some time before we see that it's a mortal wound in a way that doesn't happen in the Lerman one. Like he makes, he sort of makes a joke about being a, he makes a grave man joke, but, and everyone's still kind of laughing and then he reveals his wound. But in, in the Zeffirelli one, he's really still like trying to play to his audience and goofing around until you finally figure out that he's dead. And so I kind of liked the fact that it was so sudden because all of their actions are like that, like with no sense of the consequences. You've got Juliet who immediately wants to get married. And, you know, in the Baz Luhrmann one, she wants to get married to a guy who's going to have second head in 20 years. And the guy that her parents want her to marry is going to be totally, still totally adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she's not worried about what's going to happen in 40 years because, or in 20 years, because she's going to be dead in four days. I mean, she doesn't know that yet, but everything is just so rash. So I guess I liked that sense that they don't have a feeling of the consequences in um, Zeffirelli's in a way that Baz Luhrmann at least gives us a sense of it, even if the uh, the characters themselves don't themselves don't necessarily like. The way, I mean, you, Caitlin, you were talking about the stormy night, and of course, their wedding night is also on a dark and stormy night, so it's already quite foreboding. Mercutio. It's amazing. It's like he, he actually dies before most people realize that he's actually hurt and not kidding. And I did really kind of like the, um, the sense of actually kind of horror that I think there's a moment where he's struggling up the steps where yes. 
he's actually at this point transitioned into being like, no, I kind of do need some help. I need, I probably do need a surgeon, eh? And no one's responding to him. They're just laughing. And, mm-hmm. and it's actually when someone pulls the piece of cloth that he has held onto his chest off that they realize, nope, he's dead. He was very badly hurt. And it's kind of that. I mean, I, I still love Makucho's death scene in the Lerman one, but mm-hmm. it, it's it's all horror all the time instead of that that kind of swift shift to um from aha Makushio, he's always playing around to oh no he's dead and the Zakrali one yeah it definitely it, it it just shifts to more terror in the in the Zeffirelli version but then I go back and forth because I kind of feel then that I didn't care about Mercutio's death, obviously, as much as yeah. in the Baz Lerman one. So that's why, for me, I I have to go with, well, what did I, who, whom did I feel more for? Mm-hmm. And even though I like the directorial shift, I think the directorial shift is very interesting from kind of playful to terror. And all of it, and the all of a suddenness of it, I still, I don't know. I just still feel I, I have to be drawn to a character more so. And for me, I'm I'm drawn to Baz Luhrmann's characterization of Mercutio's death. Yeah, and just the response that it it gets from. I mean, obviously, like the uh, Leo's kind of saving grace, apart from his cuteness in this movie, I think is is his ability to just lose it, like. Totally, and it's 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 to to see the um the Zeffirelli's Romeo, whose name I can't remember. He's so even when he's upset, he's still kind of quite muted and mild. Whereas mm-hmm. Leo's Romeo just absolutely loses the plot, and um and his reaction to Mercutio's death is so powerful that like you even even if you weren't that and in, sort of invested in Mercutio as a character, you couldn't help but feel it um in that moment when he's yeah cradling Mercutio's body in his arms and like weeping which is uh, maybe over the top but I, again I don't care because it's great <laughs> other things we like about Zeffirelli's I really liked Juliet's costumes I mean you touched upon that a little bit Caitlin but I actually did overall like her costuming I mean that red dress at the party was beautiful and and even uh, when she says at the end that she decides that she will marry Paris, which is wearing that beautiful green dress. I, I, I don't know. I thought that her costumes were really beautiful and, and striking. Her, her hair is so fantastic. Like I spend most of the film just being like, I just want that hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, totally. Yeah. It's got that real kind of like, I mean, that's, that's, I think where the period setting um, helps because you've got this kind of in the same way that the vague period setting and brain as much ado works, just all of the kind of big, lots of loose hair kind of hanging around the place. And like, in the, the like morning after scene with, you know, the lark, the lark, no, the nightingale, she's got that big kind of loose night dress thing on. And it's just that real sense of like sensual kind of physicality that her costuming uh, in the Zeffirelli film really, I think, works, which maybe doesn't come across quite so well in the in the Lerman one, despite the fact that she is a literal angel at the party. 
that, that's another good just on that scene um in the morning after that I, that seems like another scene where Baz Luhrmann basically just took it from Zeffirelli where the two of them are in bed together and undressed and and cuddling and it I mean it looks basically the same mm. except of course there's more butts and boobs in Zeffirelli's one than Luhrmann yes. <laughs> which is kind of ironic actually <laughs> yeah but yeah somehow despite the um the, the lack of actual genuine nudity in the in the Baz Luhrmann version, it's it's still on the whole much sexier, I think, than the Zeffirelli one. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of the the amount of like physical intimacy that you see, not just in that scene, um, but all throughout, and the fact that when when Claire Danes and Leo kiss, they don't look like wrestling eels, which is. <laughs> 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 The Pirelli one, which is just the over-the-top, old-timey, like, really oh, ridiculous yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and they also get swept up in their kiss. Like, they just, they kiss, and 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 then Juliet's like, mm, we should get married first. Yeah. And then <laughs> Romeo's like, okay, but can we make out a bit more? And she's like, oh, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I do think Claire Danes nails the... Um, what satisfaction canst thou have tonight? Line way better than Olivia Hussey does. Yeah, which is like slightly perplexed, whereas Claire Danes knows exactly what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or it's like at the very least suspicious of the right things. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing about the Zeffirelli version that drove me up the wall, though, is the first kiss between Romeo and Juliet is largely shot from behind Romeo's head. <laughs> Which is like, it's very, it's very peculiar and you sort of see their heads poised, pressed against each other, but you can't actually see them kissing. I know. Yeah. Uh, and it was a very weird choice and it was a very like, I wasn't sure if they were trying to preserve the modesty of the audience, but then that turned out to not be true at all with the degree <laughs> that happened later on. Yeah. So it was just a, a very perplexing filming choice. And I was wondering if anyone had any thoughts on what purpose that could possibly have served. My best guess would be that Zeffirelli just like identifies with Romeo and or has the hots for Romeo. Although I think it was Ben Bolio that he sexually harassed on set, <laughs> which is what led to um, with Nail and I. <laughs> Apparently that was like about his like experience being sexually harassed on set by Zeffirelli. Well, no, That's kind no. of my best guess is that he he just like didn't like Olivia Hussey because she was so good. And so he was looking for any opportunity to downstage her. Yeah, I could see that. That could totally be it. You know, I finally understand the reason why they cast that dude to play Benvolio because he was so bad. He was the one that <laughs> every time he spoke, I was just like, why are you here? What are you doing in this film? But obviously if Cifrelli had a thing for him, then that's the answer. <laughs> totally. that's the end of this episode of the 21st folio next part of this discussion will be available to download on monday to keep up with the latest episodes subscribe to the 21st folio podcast on itunes for show notes and more information about the podcast please visit seventh-row.com that's s-e-v-e-n-t-h-r-o-w.com dot